Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, January 16th, 2022, we continue our new series titled, Hope for the Family. Today's sermon, Planned Time, will be taught to us by Pastor Jeff Stevens. But first, here's a quick recap of last week's sermon. We are all sinners. We all get things wrong. We mess up ways we don't see. We all have blind spots. But here's the thing. When we stop following the Creator's laws, think of them as His directions for family, and we all do it. When that happens, life can become more challenging. Divorce, death, illness, anger, depression, and all kinds of other problems. However much of a mess it might look like in our family and in our relationships, whatever it is that we've done wrong, we're better off handing it off to God. Success is not about what we acquire, how good a school our kids get into, the titles that we get or our ego fulfillment. It's about how we love others. It's lived out in a commitment of service and it desires the best for people. And it starts in the context of a family. It extends beyond to our community and then it goes out to the world. Hey, I got the, uh, the great joy, great pleasure of speaking about time. And so um, the time that we spend on this earth, the time and how we use the time or invest in the time that God, in fact, give us. Albert Einstein, of course, told us that time is relative. And it's relative because it depends upon your frame of reference. I know that the older I get, the faster time seems to be going. Uh, but that's merely because of my frame of reference, merely because I have more time behind me than what I feel like I have in front of me. The truth of that equation, of course, is that I actually have more time in front of me than I'll ever have behind me, right? We serve and work uh, under the glory of God for his kingdom uh, that we will reside with him for all eternity, but it poses this question. In fact, a buddy of mine called me this weekend because Jill is up at uh, camp with the high school kids, uh, which I'm sure is uh, testing her faith um, and, uh, and all the things that kind of comes with that. It's also just testing her ability to get sleep. And uh, uh, I, I will say that she did take enough Zequil to tranquilize you know, a large, large adult male. So... Um, but we deal with this question, right? This buddy of mine calls me and he says, hey, where are you at? And of course, I've been for weeks in this study of time. And so my brain is just so fixated on time that I, I've, I don't understand the question. I'm like, I'm, I'm sitting in my family room. No, I'm not asking you where you're geographic. I'm not asking you where you're at right at this moment. I'm asking you, where are you spiritually? 
He was a brother just wanting to minister to me and to, uh, and to encourage me in the hope of the gospel and the truth that is around that. So we sometimes think about time in this physical aspect that uh, where am I at this moment? I'm not asking you where are you at at this moment by saying you're at Highlands Church and all those different things. The challenge today is where are you at spiritually? Where are you at in your relationship with Jesus Christ? And it's gonna be a challenge today. I think sometimes we think about events in our life as both planned and unplanned. My kids, because the Stevens family put the fun in dysfunctional, right? So we, we understand, right, that the objective of a, of a child of the Stevens family is to, of course, uh, make the youngest feel uh, uh, totally unwanted and, un, and not a part of the family, right? So there's always this question that they're posing to her. is like, so do you think that mom and dad actually planned to have you? I think you're an oops. And so you gotta appreciate that, right? Because that's what's shaping her into the woman that God wants her to be. But you start to realize, right, that there's planned and unplanned events. But from our frame of reference, we have to understand that there is in fact a plan and that plan is being revealed by God. And it's his plan. In fact, all throughout the Old Testament and into the New is just a reflection upon his story. It's history. We'll see genealogies list down, and we often get to those genealogies with names that we change to Chuck and Ralph and Bob and things because you can actually say them, right? And you realize there's all these people, and all these people is what led to Christ. Today, I want to float by you just simple math here, right? How did we get to you? If you were to look at this chart, right, you are one person. In fact, it took two parents, whether they were planned or unplanned, whether they were married or unmarried. Biologically, it required one man, one woman for you to be here. In fact, it required also for there to be four grandparents for those two parents to exist, and it required eight grandparents for those four grandparents and those two parents just to get to you. In fact, if I just go 10 generations of great-grandparents back, it took 4,096 people for you to be sitting here today. If I take it back 20 generations, roughly 600 years ago to the 15th century, if I take it back to there, it took 4,194,304 people for you to be sitting here today. God has a plan. He spoke you into existence before time existed. And in the genealogy of what God's unfolding of his plan brings to us is it brings us opportunity in the moment that God is in fact entrusting us. We start to realize, right, this is only 600 years ago today, the 1400s. Imagine if we extrapolated this number all the way back thousands of years. How many millions and millions of God-planned people to get to you here today. In fact, today our definition of time is to look at time through as a series of events. Some of them from our frame of reference are planned and some of them from our frame of reference are unplanned. But all time is planned by God. All things in your life. In fact, um, in 2014, I took my wife and a couple of our kids um, back to Missouri to visit relatives. My family comes from Missouri. No, that's not a plug for the chiefs today. But that is, in fact, recognizing this is where my family came from. We went to this little town where uh, my grandfather grew up and his 13 brothers and sisters grew up. 
And in this family, we went to the Blackwater Cemetery. And as we were walking through the cemetery, row after row after row, all these people with the last name Stevens, all family members. And as I stopped by each one of the graves and I looked at the marker and it had a beginning date and it had an ending date, I couldn't help but ponder what was their dash. That time in between. How did they live their life? Was their life lived for Christ and his kingdom? Was their life lived to the glory of God who created them? Was it lived to the glory? And out of all these people and the millions of people that it took to get to me, did they know Christ? I know from talking with family that many of them did not. My great-grandfather was known as the sheriff of Blackwater. He never darkened the door of a church. His son, my grandfather, was a lover of Christ. He was the first person and the only family member I had at the time that in fact shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with me as a boy. I didn't understand it, and it wasn't until much later that faith became real. But in fact, he constantly was pointing me to Christ. I remember his last words to me as he was going into a surgery, a surgery that would take his life. And he could tell that I was anxious, that I was worried, that I was pacing back and forth. And he said to me, he says, Jeff, he says, come here. He says, if you take anything out of this world, if you don't know anything else, if you just understand this one thing, I want you to have it. And I, what is that? I was just visiting here. Just visiting. He was kingdom-minded. He was kingdom-focused. But like him, he was raised in a home that didn't, his dad never darkened the door of a church. I too was raised in a home where my father and my parents did not go to church. They did not point me to Christ. Yet I stand here today a sinner saved by grace to the glory of the one who created me. You see, it doesn't matter whether you have the advantage of being raised in a Christian home or even the proposed disadvantage of being raised in a non-Christian home. God's plan will unfold. The requirement of each of us is not the outcome, but is in fact the faithfulness to the process. We're gonna look at that today. As I start to realize that my own father and reflecting on him there are two times, two moments in time that are profound to me with my father. There's many moments. And I want you to understand, my father loved me. He provided me an incredible home. He uh, sacrificed much of his time. But my dad was not the kind of man who went outside and played catch. He is the kind of man who taught me how to do my own taxes. He is the kind of man who told me how to recreate and write a business plan. His joke forever until, until he left this earth was my son wrote his first business plan when he was nine and returned a, a profit on the investment long before he turned 10. In fact, that was a drive of my life, money. It was, in fact, my purpose. It was the very existence for why I lived. It's why I thrived in corporate America. It's why I built businesses, sold businesses, and did those things, because of my father's influence. But I don't want it to be heard today that my father didn't love me. He loved me. 
But those are words that never came out of his mouth. But these two moments in time happened to be the same event. It was, in fact, his father's death. It was in grand tradition of the Midwest, right, that you do an open casket. It's more like a carnival or circus is what it feels like, right? And you've got this big open casket and everyone comes up and stares at a lifeless empty shell and remembers and reflects. And maybe it helps people find closure, but for my dad, he was avoiding this casket all day. And towards the end of the day, when the people had gone and just I was standing up towards the front, he walked up, he put his hands on the casket and he stared at his father and tears began to stream down his cheek. It's the only time I ever saw this man cry. And it was a moment of confession. It was a moment where he stared at his father's lifeless body and said, forgive me. I should have spent more time with you. I was afforded that time and I didn't do it. Forgive me for that. And then he turned and he looked at me. And again, he knew that I loved to fish. He knew that I loved to hunt, but we'd never done any of those events together. And he looked at me and he says, hey, and uh, his name for me was Boy, but he says, Boy, we got a couple more days here. What do you say we go fly fishing? I could have jumped for joy. I couldn't tell you how excited I was for this opportunity where there'd be no interruptions, no business calls, nothing that would take us away from just having a father and son moment. It was a beautiful moment for me. And if you're anything like me, you're probably 50 or older, uh, you're hearing Harry Chapin sing Cats in the Cradle with the Silver Spoon, right? And you're welcome. That's stuck in your head now for probably a week. But Harry Chapin in 1974, he said this. He says, my child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way. But there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away. And he was talking before I knew it. And as he grew, he'd say, I'm going to be like you, Dad. I am my father's son. I am a person who struggles over time and where to spend it and who to spend it with. I'm a man who's convinced that my job is to provide and protect his family. And I use that as an excuse as to why I need to be on the phone doing yet another business call. I struggle over whether I'm supposed to live for work or work to live. I don't know if you're anything like me, but the tail end of Harry Chapin's song says it all. It says in the last stanza of it, it says, I've long since retired. My son's moved away. I called him up the other day. I said, I'd like to see you if you don't mind. He said, I'd love to, Dad, if I could find the time. You see, my new job's a hassle and the kids have the flu, but it's sure nice talking to you, Dad. It's been sure nice talking to you. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me, he'd grown up just like me. My boy was just like This is a struggle. Talking to my wife and talking to my kids, I asked the question, how did I do in this? Because I wanted to live up to my dad's expectations, not God's. And one of my kids informed me that I attended, in fact, every one of her events. I was at the plays. I was at the dance. I was at the softball. I was at the games. I was there. He says, but for the entire time that you were there, you were here. 
that pierces my very heart. It crushes me. You see there, in fact, we start to realize that there are things sometimes that we put more important than our kids, more important than our spouse, more important than God himself. Pastor Joe explained last week that in his own confession, right, in hour four, hour five, whatever it was, in the assembly of his daughter's kitchen for Christmas, that he realized that he had stopped reading. He had stopped intentionally looking at the instructions. And what he had to do was he had to disassemble so that he could reassemble. For many of us here today, we need to disassemble that which we've stopped reading in the instructions given to us by the word of God. And we're gonna have to reassemble them. This will require humility. This will require confession. This will be standing before your child and saying, listen, there are times in my life that I'm ashamed of because I made things more important than the greatest gift that God ever gave me, which is you. It's not too late. It's never too late. It's never too late to go to the throne room of God, even if the person is no longer on this earth, and to say to God the Father, forgive me, Lord, I am a sinner saved by your grace. And I squandered bits and pieces of the time that you gave me as a gift to be used and to be invested for your kingdom. There is, in fact, three kinds of parents. We're gonna talk specifically about one. But there's the absent parent, the absent father, the absent mother who abandons their responsibilities to love, direct, protect, and provide for their children. There's the involved parent. This is the dad or the mom who's really present for their child physically, emotionally, and financially. But they, in fact, they'll tuck their children into bed. They'll read them stories. They show up at games. They even help plan birthday events. But there is no pointing to Christ. There's the pursuit of fun, the pursuit of pleasure, the avoidance of what the world is in fact indoctrinating and teaching them on a day-to-day basis because they've simply stopped reading the manual. The third person is the strategic parent. This is the person who is all the things of the involved parent, but as a strategic parent, they have an intentionality in bringing not only the best out of their children, out of their children's friends, but they have an intentionality of pointing them to see Christ in everything. This person recognizes that they're not in fact raising children to become independent. They're raising their children to become dependent upon the person of Jesus Christ. This person knows that their lifestyle, their home life, their work life, their witness must be consistent with God's message. They pray for and they plan for a clear Christ-centered vision and for progress of their child to know God and to know his word. They pray and prepare. They create teachable moments. Next week, Pastor Thomas will be talking to us, right, about how do we take those moments, those unplanned events, and point those unplanned events to Jesus Christ. Today, we are looking at the perceived plan events. It's important for us to understand, in my point one here, that God designs the path for you to walk in. It is God designing the path. At times, we question, is this the path of God? We know that <clears throat> the Proverbs 16, 9 says, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. God is in complete control. 
There's an illusion that comes to us that thinks that we are in fact here to provide a certain outcome in our families. That if I do everything right, my child will know and love Jesus Christ. There is no guarantee of that. And it is not actually your calling. What is our calling is to be faithful in the path that God has us on. Ephesians 5 and chapter 6 tell us the outcomes of a faithful walk, not the goal. The goal is in fact to be faithful. The outcome belongs to God. We see in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, where Paul tells us, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, passing this down from generation to generation, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice of God. How do we walk with sacrifice? In love. We do this so that we are a fragrant aroma, so that we are a fragrant aroma of the person of Jesus Christ. This is the manner in which we walk. The outcome will still take care of itself. Faithfulness at the moment. We see in chapter five, verses 20 and 21, how our disposition, our attitude should be. Giving thanks always and for everything to God in the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So whether you're having a good day or a bad day, give thanks because it's the day that the Lord made and you're gonna be glad and you're gonna rejoice in it because from it, he's shaping something. Something is coming out of this day. There's purpose behind it. There is God's plan But here, this key understanding in relationships in verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. I have more marriage counseling sessions where someone wants to tell me, a man usually, right? The problem is is that she's just unwilling to submit to me. The problem is, is you can't read verse 21. You submit to each other out of reverence for Christ Jesus. It begins there. The point of the gospel is not that we see people as less than us, but that we see people as better than us. The point of the gospel is that we're here to serve, to sacrifice, to give our lives as a fragrant offering to the glory of Jesus Christ. We're here to be spent for him. We see it start to manifest itself after we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ Jesus. In verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for us. Wives sit in my office and say, The problem is that he doesn't love me the way that Christ loves the church. Show me the scripture that says that you're prohibited from doing that yourself. You see, these scriptures, they work both ways. But men, I want to be clear. You will stand before Jesus Christ and give an account of loving your wife as Christ loves the church. But wives, there's nothing, nothing in God's word that prohibits you from loving your husband as Christ loves the church. When it gets to that verse and it says, wives, respect your husbands. Husbands, there is nothing in scripture that says you're prohibited from respecting your wife. Just as when it gets to children and it talks about children, I have parents that sit in my office and talk about the dishonoring and disrespectful tone, the eye rolling, the words that are coming out of their child's mouth and their child sitting with their arms crossed. (coughs) So disappointed. 
And I tell that child, nothing your parent is doing allows you to suddenly disrespect and roll your eyes or do anything other than honor your father and mother for this is the first commandment with a promise that you would live long in your days and you're pushing your luck. As you see them kind of sit there and I turn and I said, oh, hey, but dad, do not exasperate or provoke your child to anger. Do you see what's happening here? Why is she or he doing this? I'm not excusing their behavior, but I'm also not excusing yours. You see, the word of God is a double-edged sword. We have to live by it. The outcome of it is that we would be found faithful. Right, in verse five, verses 31 and 32, uh, Pastor Joe read this last week. He says, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This exercise, I want to be clear. I try to get this in every wedding I do, right? But usually people want to stick with the tradition. The bride comes down and you say the words, who gives this woman to be with this man? Her mother and I. I also want to stop and look at the groom's family and say, who gives this man to be with this woman? You see, this is the transfer of authority. This is God's design of marriage, that you would leave that household authority and that you would cling to the woman of your youth, that you would in fact proclaim Jesus Christ as the headship of that household and that you would lead it to the greater glory of Jesus Christ. You see, why do we do that? Why are we doing that? Because this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. God is growing his church. Think of God's plan and time as a stage with the curtain drawing back and slowly over time he is revealing all that he spoke into existence before the very foundation of the earth. Millions and millions of people to get to those who are in this room here today. God spoke your name into existence before time itself existed. He has a plan. Those genealogies that are passing down from generation to generation. It is the passing of his story. How did we get here? What are we here for? How are we supposed to live our lives? The instruction manual of the 66 books of the Bible are in fact that manual Our motivation is all about Christ. Our decision-making is his word, and our outward life is gospel. But don't leave here today. Don't leave here thinking, right, that I can't do this. Jeff, you don't understand, man. I, I am so busy, and I got so many different things going on. Well, hold on. Paul says it at the very end of six. He says, put on the full armor of God. You're at war. Don't forget it. There is a fallen world out there that is telling your kids nonsense, craziness. And you're here to refute that truth with the word of God, to help them grow in the grace of our Lord and to have a better and better understanding of who this son is and the redemptive power that he has in that substitutionary death and atonement. It is Jesus Christ and him crucified. You are here to shed light on that in every moment. That's your dash. Don't focus on the expected outcome. Don't focus on my kids being saved. Focus on being faithful at this moment. The rest will take care of itself. 
we look at the very beginning of time in Genesis 2.15. It says, then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. I love these phrases. I put it in the NASB so that we don't see it as work it and keep it or work it and guard it, but to cultivate it and keep it. This farming term, Cultivate is avad. It means to serve. It means to follow sequence, to follow rhythm, to follow process. And to keep points to the effectiveness of it. We keep and we guard and we watch over. The word is shamar. It means to guard or watch over, to keep that which is effectual. The simple and straightforward way here is that God is stating the purpose for which he created the garden. And he begins to reveal that foundational part of his training program for Adam and Eve. Spiritually, right, the principle extends all the way to modern children today. Adam's job in the garden was to cultivate and keep or to tend and guard. It's likened to that of a farmer, making sure that you ensure that you produce a bountiful crop. He plows the ground, he fertilizes it, he plants the seed, he promotes further growth by watering it, weeding it, and so forth. And if the farmer fails to cultivate his ground in sequence, if he does nothing to promote growth, it won't remain a garden for very long. Some of us have left these instructions. You see, Adam and Eve, it's less about the fruit and the vegetables and the things that are growing in the garden, it's about people. Love God, love people. The command upon Adam and Eve was to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and to subdue it. It was in fact to submit to God, to walk in a harmonious relationship with God and to point the family and all that God would bring into existence over time to the loveliness and the beauty of Christ. We start to see that this principle emerges. Not only do we have to have sound training that comes from pure doctrine to do this, right? But we must make an effort to cultivate producing more and more fruit. Love God, love people, make disciples. This directly is related to our process of faith. It's not about the outcome. It's about the faithfulness to the process. To do this is going to require wisdom. Point two here is walk not as unwise, but as wise. That's what Paul tells us. Some say our checkbook reveals our heart. I think that's probably true to a certain extent. But I would argue here today that your calendar reveals much more. We have to think of time, the time that we're given as an investment We have to think this way, to look at our calendar and identify what is the priority. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16 says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. It's interesting to me that in God's word, he uses a definitive article here. He's not talking about an indefinite period of time. He's not talking about some time or any time or multiple times. He's talking about a specific time, the time, your time, your dash, that period that will be on your tombstone one day that represents when you came and when you left, that dash. 
In fact, Psalm 139 tells us that all of our days are ordained by God, right? It says, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were, in, were formed for me. When I, when as yet, there was none of them. He already wrote your plan. You know that word that says we are his workmanship, that word, the Greek word there is poema. We are his poem. God wrote a poem about you and you are living that poem. James 4, 13 and 14 says, come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what, that, what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? It's a mist. It appears for just a little time and then it vanishes. It's the breath on a cold morning. It's just your dash. And the challenge for all of it is will we be faithful to examine what's our dash? And our dash at this point of time may in fact require us to disassemble so that we can reassemble to the greater glory of God. Recently on social media, I posted Ephesians 5, 15, and 16, right? Look then carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. I said, here's a scenario for you. Imagine if you were informed that 24 hours from now, you will in fact cease to exist. You will leave this world. The question that I gave them was, what would you do with whom and why? As of this morning, most of the comments are all the same. In fact, they are very similar. Basically, summarizing it, people would say, I would spend it with family, telling them about Christ. My question is, is why isn't this already a planned event for you? I think we know the stat, right? One out of every one dies. What are you waiting for? <laughs> I'm not gonna, I'm gonna bury the lead on this one. No. Put Christ out front. You see, to have planned events, it's gonna require two things. One is rhythm and the other is intentionality. There has to be a sequence and an order to what you do. It's about family discipleship time. It requires a consistent rhythm. You can't tell your kids, hey, every Wednesday, we're gonna meet and study God's word together and then continue to blow it off. Oh, daddy's got some work to do. I'm gonna have to travel this week. It's not how I know it to be. It pierced the heart when my kids said that I was at their events, but I was on my cell phone because I was always conducting business. I was always on another cell phone call. I was on those different things, right? And because of that, Jill and I, who do a 30-year standing date, every Saturday morning, just the two of us go to breakfast. We ditch the kids so that we can have intentional time just communicating the two of us. And because... The cell phone has become an idol because it has become so important, right? I can't go to a restaurant and say, you're the most important thing to me, all of you. I mean that. Hold on, someone important's calling. Nope, nope, spam. Okay, go ahead. Fully focused on you. Right, if you want to give yourself a real treat, open up your phone to settings and go to screen time. And... Deal with the reality that, you know, on mine, it says that I average just under three hours a day average on that phone. 
And then I look at the thing, the next insult to it is it tells me where I've been spending it. You're like, oh my God. I can certainly cut 10 to 20 minutes, 20% of my time if I just stop doing that and maybe refocus that time on my family, on my friends, on my neighbors. But it's also gonna require intentionality. It means that you have to be studied in God's word. You can't just show up to a Bible study and attend and be a facilitator. You need to show up as the person who's gonna help lead and direct. For some, this seems to be an overwhelming and a daunting task. For some that do it, it's fine. But it's about being intentional and it's about staying in sequence and rhythm. Last, uh, last week, Pastor Joe, this book is still out there at Info Central. Uh, Family Discipleship gives you some great advice on how to organize and put those things together. I'd encourage you to pick one of them up. But we threw a couple of additional books out there. I'm throwing out there this idea of catechism, right? Catechism was something that uh, the Protestant church was doing 500 years ago. And uh, in it, they were trying to protect uh, the youth and the Protestants from growing up to being lured and enticed away by the Roman Catholics, I'm less concerned today about Roman Catholicism and I'm a little bit more focused on the nonsense that's being taught in our schools. And so Tim Keller and his wife Kathy Keller created this book called The New City Catechism. It poses 52 questions like other catechisms. Right, I was raised um, uh, in my early Christian walk with the Westminster Catechism, right? What is the chief end of man? Right? The chief end of man, the answer to that is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. This is going to take on 52 questions. And in those 52 questions, you're going to find different things where it gives a question. Um, you know, uh, uh, pick a random one here. Uh, question seven, what does the law of God require? The answer, personal, perfect, and perpetual obedience that we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. What God forbids should never be done and what God commands should always be done. It gives scripture to support that. And you start to say to yourself, well, I don't know that I could really explain that to my kid. Well, then pick up this one and turn it into a devotional. It's the exact same questions, but put it into a devotional format to create and spur conversation. And I know that even some of you are still saying, oh, you don't understand, Jeff, my kid's five. Great, we have this. This actually goes with it, right? And it has little pictures. It simplifies the question even more simpler and puts the answers into their language. Catechize your kids. If you're thinking it's too late, start anyway. Create that conversation centered around Christ and around his kingdom. Focus on those simple truths. But it all starts with good sequence and a specific intentionality. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, as we sow, we reap. Let us expect our children to know the Lord. Let us from the beginning mingle the name of Jesus with their ABCs. Tell them of Christ. Show them Christ. Stand before them and confess your sin and show them the grace that comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let them see the beauty of this God. My third and final quote or uh, point here today is look, ask, walk. If you're gonna mingle Jesus into their ABCs, look, ask, walk. 
Jeremiah 6, 16 says, thus says the Lord, stand by the crossroads. So, so, or some say, stand by the crossroad. This one says, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient path where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. You wanna have rest? Look, ask for the ancient path. Walk. The Hebrews at this time, of course, the part that's missing from there is, but they won't do it. Don't be that guy. Don't be that gal. Do it. Right? To do this, you have to stand first. You need to look at where you stand, and it may be that the closest exit to you is behind you. It may be, in fact, that you have to disassemble so that you can reassemble. It may require you in humility to confess, I dropped the ball in a number of different areas but I want to follow Christ and be faithful from whatever day he gives me going forward. You need to ask for the ancient path, not any path. The ancient path is where you'll find the ancient of days. That's it. Find the ancient of days. Look to God. Look to Jesus and live. The ancient of days. If you were to find the ancient of days, walk in that path. Stop listening to the world and start living your life for Christ. But when you walk in this path, there's rest for your soul. There's rest. Who do I start with? Where do I go? If I invite the worship team and the prayer team up, and I gotta tell you, brothers and sisters, take advantage of this prayer team after the service. We need to pray with one another. We need to even confess with one another. We have to grow in his grace and his understanding. But I would ask that you start with your covenant relationships. Whether Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, right? We are all sitting here today because God made a contract, made a promise that he would fulfill his contract, his promise. He even doubled down with Abraham and said, hey, You go ahead and sit this one out. I'll promise for you and for me. And if you blow it, I'll fulfill it. And if I blow it, I'll fulfill it. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Start with your covenant relationships. If you don't have a spouse, you do have a God. Be in that covenant relationship. If you are in a covenant relationship with a spouse, know that you stood under a holy God and said, I will love this woman as Christ loves his church. And she said, I will respect him for all the days that I'm given. Don't make each other's jobs hard. Have a marriage that's centered on Christ, his word, and the kingdom that is ahead of us. Take your time to make disciples. Pastor Mark would love to hear from you. If you're not making a disciple or someone's not making you a disciple, know that discipleship is a relationship that intentionally multiplies Christ's followers. Be involved in a small group. Pastor Thomas is out there in a booth out front by the baptismal If you're not in a small group today, stop and join a small group. Pick up a book. Let us give you the resources and the tools to love and follow Christ intimately with purpose and intentionality. Make time to be faithful to the gospel for your spouse, your kids, your friends, 
your kids' friends, your neighbors, every person that you will encounter, the person in the grocery store you are standing at the crossroad, look and ask for the ancient path and live to the glory of Christ. Look, ask, walk. Brothers and sisters, God does not need you to save sinners. God called you to be faithful. He'll save the sinners. Be faithful with the word of God. He's chosen to use you as a teacher and a preacher of his word. But rest assured in the confidence that all that God has called will be found. As time goes on, I don't know if Jesus is returning today, but you need to understand that he imminently will be found faithful. But be prepared that a thousand years from now, 4.1 million more people have to be produced so that that saint that God's calling 600 years from now comes to know Christ because his story has been passed down from generation to generation. Be strategic. You're at war. Put on the full armor of God. Run the race as if to win, not specifically to win, but to be found faithful in the race. It's all about faith. This is sanctification. In that God is pulling you through a keyhole by your feet. He's stripping you of everything. He wants everything because he wants 100% of you to be faithful with the word that you're being entrusted. As he crushes you, as he presses you, as he makes you into something new, be used by him. Spend and be spent to the glory of God. Raise your children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. It's not too late to tell them, I messed up. But I want you to see the beauty and the loveliness of Christ. Love God. Love people. Make disciples. Our Father and our God, Lord, we are so thankful for your word, your truth, your constant pursuit of us. Help us to be faithful with each moment you entrust us. To your glory, may we live. To your glory, may we be used to grow in grace and a greater and greater understanding of your Son. Amen. That new wine. May it be a free, a, a sweet fragrance, an aroma of Jesus Christ. May we grow in his grace. May we grow to his glory. It's not too late. Stop and turn to your family. Set a rhythm. Make that the first thing you put on your calendar, your time with each other. And make the rest of the world conform to that schedule, not the other way around. Make it a priority. Spend and be spent. Take each moment and hold it captive to the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Without that, we couldn't sit here today singing songs of worship as sinners saved by him. Amen? Amen. To God be the glory. I love you guys. We'll see you all next week. 